Without any further ado, though, uh, today's guest has an absolute wealth of knowledge and experience, so much so, in fact, that she's written a book. Uh, this is our first author to join us on the Scaling So Far series. Um, so I'm sure she's going to have plenty to share um, all the way from, I would say, sunny Singapore, but my memories of it are that it's incredibly humid Singapore as well. Um, I'm delighted to introduce Anne Caron. Um, she's an international speaker, author and consultant, drawing on 10 years experience as a senior HR executive at Google. Um, she set up her own consulting practice back in 2015 to support founders building high-performing and positive organisations, um, primarily in APAC, but also over here in Europe. She's since developed a methodology for startups to grow the right organisation and team, which she describes in her new book, uh, which will tell you all about how you can get that later on, um, From Zero to 1000, The Organisational Playbook for Startups. There you go. That's some introduction, Anne. How are you feeling? Ooh, good. Super <laughs> happy to be here. Um, Thank you very much for the invitation and to be somehow a little bit in Europe uh, because um, from where I am, Europe is going to be quite far for a long time. It doesn't feel like the frontiers are going to open anytime soon. So happy to be there a little bit. Thanks to you. Happy to be talking to an Australian who is also stuck in Europe, no doubt. <laughs> Anyway, well, we're sort of switching um, hemispheres, you and I, at the yeah. moment. But, um, anyway, and you founded your consultancy and Caron Consultancy and recently launched your book. Um, what what led to that? What what was the, the kind of moment that made you decide to go out on your own and then to write all about it as well? Um, so what, uh, what made me go on my own, frankly, I, I wish I was uh, able to tell you, well, that was courage. I, I knew it from the beginning. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, that's not really the case. Um, I, I, it just happened. So I was 10 years at Google, um, mm -hmm. and I, I started in 2005, um, out of Paris, um, and at the time, uh, at Google, we were 5,000 people. Globally, in Europe, it was only 1,500 people, and people didn't quite know about Google as an employer. I mean, everybody knew the search engine, obviously, but as an employer, you know, people didn't know that you could work there, what type of job there was. Um, and so that was really exciting because there was so much to build, so much to do on the sourcing front, on the entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur and the um, employer brand side. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really exciting and I loved this uh, this part um, uh, of my time there. Um, I, I'm a builder, I love uh, uh, you know solving problems and when I see a gap I like to fill it. Um, and so that, that, that was really cool and I, I remember that as Europe was growing um, I was already starting that it was getting too big. So that's how I went to APAC. I was like, oh, let's get somebody mm -hmm. somewhere smaller where, where we can mm -hmm. uh, do more stuff. But um, when I left it, we were at so 2015. The company was 65,000 employees by then. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, if in 2005 we're struggling to have people to apply to our jobs, um, it was 3 million applications that we were reviewing per year. Um, so all of a sudden, what we were doing was not so much building, but it was a lot of optimizing. Uh, and that was mm -hmm. a lot of the things that I was doing. 
which got me into really interesting projects. Um, but I also, on one hand, felt uh, a nostalgic, you know, nostalgic of the early days when I could really mm-hmm. almost start from scratch. Um, and also a bit of frustration that, you know, um, change was very difficult to bring. Um, and that even in a company like Google, uh, when it comes to organization and people strategy, people, um, you know, matching performance, for instance, there was not much innovation anymore that we're able to, to bring. Uh, if, if you look at the performance management system, it's very much the same as what you would find in any other company. And, and I was like, ah, I want, you know, I, we can do better. There, there, there has to be a better way. People, are, you know, everybody's hating the performance reviews. So why are we? <laughs> I remember that quite great when I was there. <laughs> just, yeah. So, so, and, and I tried, it's just impossible because I was in, you know, in tiny office, Singapore, and, mm-hmm. and plus, you know, you don't change things, um, um, you know, that easily in, in such a big organization, mm-hmm. even at Google. So yeah, so that's how I, I, I kind of said, okay, let's let's go outside and, and have a look at uh, what I can do. And uh, I ended up, you know, um, looking at the entrepreneurship uh, ecosystem um, mm. and found it super interesting. And there was, so there was a gap here uh, on the people mm-hmm. side and the organization side. Um, there, um, um, and, and that's how I got started with my consulting. So I, um, I started mm. with a, a lot of consulting on uh, talent acquisition, obviously, and that's the main, the first pain point that uh, founders mm-hmm. come to you for. It's like, oh, I need to hire, how do I do? And then it's like, oh, by the way, I have all these people now. Oh, what do I do with them? <laughs> um, how do I keep so, them? Yeah. yeah, how do I keep them? But even how do I keep them engaged? How do I know that perform? Uh, the, the whole thing in the organization. So yes, yeah, so that's how I started uh, my uh, my my consulting for the book. Um, it actually started the idea started two years ago. I had a client at a Series B um, that uh, I just started with them, and um, they they had no HR, no recruiting, nothing. Mm-hmm. There were seventy five people, um, and. You know, for them, it was quite clear that they were going to remain lean to, you know, yeah, we're, we're a startup, we're going to stay lean. And after a few interviews with the business, I figured out that there were 150 open roles that the managers were already hiring themselves. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, uh, how do we manage that? And so it, it, it was really crisis mode, frankly. Um, um, even even with all the methodology I had put in place, all the knowledge that I knew, da, 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 mm. it was just, just super complicated because it was panic mode. There were you know, there was no um, hiring capability, so all the managers had no idea the hiring bar or just hiring mm. whatever they could find. Um, mm. The ex- employee experience was terrible. Uh, I had the case of uh, one candidate uh, being hired from the UK to Singapore being offered, he had resigned and let go of his apartment, uh, and then the manager just called and said, yeah, actually, we don't think you're quite a fit. And that was it. <laughs> and I was like, what? I mean, how is that possible? Um, there was no HR capability, so some employees didn't even have contracts. Some people were working without working permits as well. So a lot of, a, a lot of different things, management capability was not here, so some employees didn't have 
managers. They didn't even know which team they belonged to. They kept, <laughs> they kept being pulled, pulled in one direction and then to the other. So it was, it was very, very complicated. And what I realized was that actually the founders had no time at all to speak with me and to yeah. think about all this. And it actually had to happen way earlier. Um, and when, when Series B is actually the moment when you feel the pain of the organization, mm. it's almost too late to, to, you know, to build it because mm. it takes time and it takes thinking. Um, so that was kind of the, you know, the step back that I did. I, I started to do much more work early stage to do founder advisory um, to basically tell them um, this is what you have to be thinking about right now. So mostly around the company culture. Um, and it's it's mostly about thinking and planning, not so much about doing, you know, building complex and, things. Yeah, being ready. Systems. Yes. Um, so yeah, so that's how I, I built, I, I created that book. It was like really in in a, in an intent to educate founders on the necessity the necessity to think about that as early stage as possible, and then to know what's the roadmap. When do mm -hmm. I start to 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 hire my first HR and what type of profile do I need? Uh, when do I need to get an internal recruiter? When do mm. I need blah, 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 you know, all this type of stuff. And is there a chapter in the book or a particular piece of advice that you think is particularly important for people to know? Um, so the way that book is organized is uh, the first part is very much about uh, what's coming ahead. Um, so you're a founder, you're, um, hopefully you got the book as, uh, you know, and you're still at the beginning of the, of the race. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. and this, this is what's coming ahead. So these are the different phases of the startup and you as a founder as well, you need to know that your role is going to change. Um, you're going to be a jack of all trades to start with, uh, but very quickly you'll have to move to a manager because when you have 10 plus people that you need to be managed. Uh, to feel mm -hmm. that somebody is here, uh, and then you need to move to uh, to a leader. Um, so, uh, to me, perhaps the f the first chapter uh, or the first part of the book is mm -hmm. the most important because that's that's what I hope creates um, uh, a, a, a click. Um, and mm -hmm. it's like, oh yeah, I didn't realize that um, I was getting into that. Uh, that. Uh, you know, it seems fun for the first mile, um, <laughs> but it, it, it lasts quite long. <laughs> a lot of people think, a lot of founders that I've that I've interacted with recently and even people that I've met as part of like interview processes, they think they're creating a product and it's all about the consumer or the buyer and, and you know, the innovation of the product and the product roadmap, et cetera. And it's like, you know, you've got to bring some people along for the ride in order for you to be able to do that. And you've got to kind of look after those people as well, or else you're not going to have a product, you're not going to have a consumer. So it's really interesting that you that you say that some of the founders just don't even sort of think about that yeah, that part of the process when they're when they're starting out. But it's actually for a number of different reasons. Um, the first is because there's not a function that is dedicated mm -hmm. to that apart from HR, mm -hmm. and HR is has been for a long time uh seen as an uh, operational and administrative function yeah um, at least for the small for the small company so it's not something you know you're not going to get your hr manager uh sitting at uh, the leadership table and being able to challenge you and say hey have you mm. thought about that or what about this um so so that's one um 
and the second is they they don't really realize the the business plan looks all good but it's only a piece of paper until <laughs> you have people who can actually execute it yeah. and and that's i always start my conversations with the founders this way it's like i i agree i mean everything that you told me sounds great as a but there is uh, a number of things that you need to be successful in uh, uh, in your entrepreneurship journey. Uh, you need a great product for sure. I mean, you need you know people mm -hmm. being interested in what you do. You need to have a revenue model so that you generate some revenues out of that. You need to have some capital um, so that you can scale. But you need also an organization and a scalable organization. And most founders just focus on the first three. The, the, the yep. fourth one is totally uh, forgotten about um, mm -hmm. and usually delegated to HR, which are poor things most of the time, quite mm -hmm. junior and, you know, can't really handle that. Often incredibly junior as well in those early stages. Um, uh, so that's the, the key piece of advice that you think people should take away. What do you think is the biggest heap of BS advice that you've heard when it comes to scaling teams? Um, so I think the big, what I'm seeing a lot is, uh, that founders tend to build things or, or HR actually mm. without even knowing why they're doing it. Uh, it's most of the time because, well, that's the way it's being done in my first company or. And so you end up having... Or even worse, because that's the way Google do it, which is what a lot of people oh, oh, say as well. <laughs> absolutely. So, and so, yeah, that's just like, so of course, I, I loved, I mean, Google was absolutely fantastic uh, as an experience for me, and, and, and I learned so much. But I, I was actually really scared when I started to work with startups, how much they were looking up to Google and how many were implementing OKRs um, with mm -hmm. 10 employees. And it was like... Why? I mean, OKRs are, are, are not going to help you in any way. It's going to confuse most of, uh, more than anything, anything else. Um, so yeah, performance management system. In my, you know, in my book, I actually uh, put it uh, uh, in this order. So first, you need to nail your uh, um, company culture. Just mm -hmm. know who you are, what is it that you want to do, and how do you want to do it? You know, what are your key principles? Mm -hmm. Then you can build some capabilities, and after that, you have the performance management framework. But mm. a lot of founders start with, you know, when they engage with me, it's like, oh, no, 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 the most urgent is going to be the performance. Yeah, but how do I build it? I don't even know who you are and what fits you. What are and we you measuring don't know against? That either. And, what, <laughs> and so, yeah, no, it's, it's, and, and, and often it's like, do you have a problem with performance? And uh, the advice, the main advice is, don't build anything unless it's solving a problem because the risk of building it is that it may create more problems because it's, you're, you're making it more complex, more complicated for everyone, and it may add more complexity. So usually processes goes this way. It's like a process is either to validate a practice that is working well and we are forcing scale, so we're just putting it in writing so that we, we, we have consistency and we gain inefficiency. Or mm. it's indeed bringing a change 
but the change has to be motivated by something. Right? You need to, you know, to know that uh, you're you're asking people to invest time and effort to change the way they're doing for a reason. Not just for the sake of changing a process every two years, like a lot of really really big companies might do, just to you know, oh, we haven't changed that for a couple of years. Let's, you know, redo our organisational structure. <laughs> Why not? You know, <laughs> um, We've spoken on this series recently, and quite a lot about inclusive hiring. Um, it's obviously a massive focus. It's Pride Month, and no doubt we're all seeing what's going on in the news all around the world at the moment um, with the Black Lives Matter protests and, yeah. and the sort of knock-on effects of that um Indigenous Lives Matter, etc., um, uh, movements that's certainly happening back uh, in Australia, where I'm from, and, and even in the US and New Zealand. Um, what lessons, what guidance do you give to these, you know, really sort of early stage companies that are maybe not even thinking about inclusive hiring or don't prioritise inclusive hiring? What sorts of advice or, or guidance do you give to them at this stage? Um, so very early stage is complicated because first you might not really see a lack of inclusiveness. You might foresee that it will come, but it's difficult mm -hmm. to actually identify it. Um, and uh, and also they don't have the luxury to think about that. Uh, and and so the luxury and the knowledge, um, mm -hmm. the knowledge about themselves. Um, you know, coming from Google um, and having spent quite some time in talent acquisition, I was always one, one of the key principles I had is that uh, you're better off with no one than the wrong person. Um, mm -hmm. Just don't hire unless you know that's the best off which you know uh, off mm -hmm. on the market. And I, mm -hmm. and I was a you know headhunter also before, so I, mm -hmm. I I know the idea of uh, you know get the best or or just don't get or find another uh, option which is you know part time mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. But in very early stage, it's very difficult to do because uh, they don't know what they don't know. <laughs> uh, they don't necessarily know what they need, um, and so uh, what has you know works well and where I had to pivot myself you know and, and be okay yeah perhaps that doesn't fit here is to be uh, doing trial and error um, mm -hmm. and so you hire fast you fire fast and you gain learnings much quicker uh, this mm -hmm. way uh, while still being you know a good human being uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> obviously that yeah, goes without saying treating people <laughs> with respect I mean you can yeah. you can manage performance and and ultimately let go of somebody in a in an incredibly honest, open way that in some ways will leave them better off afterwards because they'll know that that job wasn't right for them for these reasons. So they'll go off and, and find something else that is more appropriate. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, those are constraints for, for being inclusive. Now, which is important, again, it's uh, awareness and consciousness mm -hmm. on what is necessary, you know, why, why uh, inclusiveness is important uh, for the business. It's not because uh, you want to be nice and it uh, looks nice to be. No, it has a business implication. Let's be cool. Um, but uh, yeah, there have been business in uh, implications. And also you get, you get into it, you know, be, being uh, uninclusive before you realize it. And uh, mm -hmm. as a founder, the mainstream and channel of hiring is your network. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, Indian founders would have mostly Indian team members, French mm -hmm. founders would have mostly French founders. Um, mm -hmm. 
corporate founders would have mostly ex you know corporate uh, uh, employees etc mm -hmm. uh, so and that's natural that's kind of okay at the beginning but you need to realize that that's my you know and the same goes with uh, you know gender diversity of course I mean mm -hmm. um, evolving in uh, a startup environment is you know, startup environment is male dominated mm -hmm. anyways um, mm -hmm. Uh, and on top of that, tech is, uh, you know, mm. even worse. One good thing as well is uh, to encourage uh, on, on uh, different initiatives on, um, um, mm. on different fronts. I'm involved in initiatives to try to bring more female um, investors or diverse investors. Investors, yeah. Because yeah, because the the investors will also play a huge role in how. You know, you shape uh, your strategy mm -hmm. around uh, around hiring, um, and even the investment. I mean, it's, we already have uh, very little female founders. If I take that, you know, that group, mm -hmm. um, and we have seen that the female founders are uh, mostly invested in by female investors. Yep. Because <laughs> male don't necessarily, you know, are, are not necessarily attracted by you know fashion. If we want to be you know mm -hmm. caricature, uh, but mm -hmm. like fashion thing. And sometimes mm. female are, are solving female problems. Uh, there are a yep. lot of really interesting startups uh, on that front. And if you go to male investors to say, yeah, I'm in India and I, I, I created that app for female have uh, problems with their periods. So yeah, so surrounding yourself with uh, so it, that's with investors, but also mentors, uh, 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 advisors, um, kind of coaches, yeah. and bring yeah. a, di a, a different um, you know perspective on things. Cool. Um, and we've had a question from the audience, and if I've correctly recognised uh, the individual, I think it's Valentina. Well, I know it's Valentina, but I think it's Valentina from Glovo in Barcelona. Um, potentially, in which case, great to have you back on again. I know you've joined us a couple of times already. Um, if not, welcome to a new Valentina, and my apologies for, for misnaming you. Um, she, she asked, speaking of co company culture and a flat structure in a startup, how do you build it and how do you make sure it doesn't turn into too flexible a democracy? So creating that company culture in a really flat structure in a startup, how do you build it? But how do you make sure it doesn't become too flexible or too inclusive of everybody's input uh, in a democratic way? Well, that, so that's taking into uh, the assumption that a company culture is a flexible, <laughs> uh, inclusive culture. Mm -hmm. um, and I often have the questions of founders of like, oh, do you think my culture is good or well, what is a good culture? And I don't think there's good or bad culture. Uh, there's a good or bad way of uh, uh, defining your culture. There are, uh, of course, uh, 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 cultures that are, you know, insane. Uh, so <laughs> that's also that's a different category. But at the end of the day, um, not everybody is a fit for Google. Uh, not mm -hmm. that Google would not hire you, but you wouldn't be happy at Google or Facebook mm -hmm. or Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, and, so, and there are millions of people who apply to banks uh, every day. Um, so there are people who want more organized, structured and a working environment and who just want to be told what, you know, this is my, my scope of work and I'm going to do that from nine to six and, and I'm happy with that. Um, so we need to recognize that. 
uh, that culture is, is anything. Um, now, the good way of defining a culture is for founders to be thinking about it uh, and to be self-aware about who, who they are. 80% uh, of the culture is uh, comes from the founders, um, and if mm -hmm. not the founders, the CEO, if you're the CEO is not a founder. Um, and so the, the first exercise is to be extremely um, uh, honest about who you are as a, as a founder. Uh, I've seen a lot, so especially, so I've, I've been working mostly with uh, companies in Asia, um, and so they look up to uh, the Google, the Facebook, the LinkedIn, mm -hmm. um, and they have uh, free, uh, free food, uh, bean bags, and um, uh, an okay art sale, of course. Um, <laughs> and and it, it, it's like kind of okay, we've, we've ticked that box, we're, we're a good culture. But the thing is that culturally speaking, they're, even the, the, the young generation, they're very top down uh, in their way of, of functioning. Um, and so if you put in your values that you empower people, and then in your policies, you have something that requires them to be at work from nine to six, uh, or that's, you know, mm -hmm. um, or that, um, uh, you, def you know, the OKRs, and, and that's a lot of what I'm seeing, are actually a cascade of objectives that the employees mm -hmm. have no choice in defining, people are gonna see that there's a discrepancy, so they will trust what they see, what they experience. And mm -hmm. so when you, you, you say we are, in, we are empowering, they won't, you know, they won't believe you, or they, you know, the empowering. word itself yeah. will, will not resonate. Uh, and so you're mm -hmm. kind of lying to your candidates, you're in your, you know, you're not. Uh, so the most important is to know who you are, um, if you're regularly late at meetings, uh, don't put punctuality in your in your values because it won't work. Um, and and so once you have done this work properly, and so you have designed your HR policies in sync with your values and your HR your your all processes, um, mm -hmm. always you know stress testing them with does that fit with our values? Then the values don't need almost to be communicated that often because they are already experienced on a regular basis within the organization. And the mm -hmm. stress test for me is I go to the employees and I say, okay, these are the values, what do you think? And either they roll up their eyes like, oh yeah, on paper, you wish. <laughs> or they're like, yeah, yeah. And, and sometimes they don't even know it's been written somewhere. Uh, and they're mm -hmm. like, and they're able to immediately connect concrete examples to specific values. I think um, obviously, uh, and you and I both work together in Paris and, and you're from there and I lived there for a very long time. And you, you're talking about it in the context of Asia and the fact that, you know, in Asia Pacific, people are trying to replicate this, you know, Californian, because a lot of those cultures that we know, Netflix, Google, Apple, et cetera, they originated in Northern California, the majority of them, which is a very particular talent pool, a very particular kind of, educational system etc to even replicate that in France was really clunky and really awkward you know we're going to be cool and we're going to be all this and and have all the free food and everything and when you have free food and people want to take two hours off for lunch and, and every day you know it, it becomes almost paradoxical because people don't necessarily want to all sit in the canteen together and have free food they want to go to the local cafe and and meet up. So even in what might seem like much more similar cultures, 
um, taking into consideration who you are, where you're from and what's important to you um, is so important when you're thinking about um, uh, how you're going to define your culture. Um, I can confirm it was Valentina from Glovo who asked that question. So thank you for joining us again. Um, and uh, we, we do need to, to close up now because we, we've hit our time. But I want to make sure that everybody knows how to get a hold of your book. So um, uh, the, the, the ebook is already available on Amazon. Um, how from zero to a thousand, how to to scale positively, and it will be available in the written version. If you're like me and you actually like to hold a paper thing in your hand when you read a book, it will be available on the 25th of July worldwide, also on Amazon. 